Software is broken, but it can be fixed. Test Double's superpower is improving how the world builds software by building both great software and great teams. And you can help. Test Double is looking for empathetic senior software engineers and DevOps engineers. We work in JavaScript, Ruby, Elixir, and a lot more. Test Double trusts developers with autonomy and flexibility at a 100% remote, employee-owned software consulting agency. Are you trying to grow? Looking for more challenges? Enjoy lots of variety in projects working with the best teams in tech as a developer consultant at Test Double. Find out more and check out remote openings at link.testdouble.com slash join. That's link.testdouble.com slash join. everyone and welcome to Greater Than Code episode 247. My name is Mandy Moore and I'm here with my friend Casey Watts. Hi, I'm Casey and we're both here with our guest today, Sai Brand. Hey everyone. Sai is Microsoft's C++ developer advocate. Their background is in compilers and debuggers for embedded accelerators. They're particularly interested in generic library design, making complex concepts understandable, and making our communities more welcoming and inclusive. They can usually be found on Twitter playing with their three cats, writing, or watching experimental movies. Hi, Sai. Good to have you. Hey, thanks for having me on. The first question we like to ask, and I think you're prepared for it, is what is your superpower and how did you acquire it? Yeah, so... Very topically, I think one of my superpowers is forgetting what topics I want to talk about when recording podcasts. And that I acquired through having ADHD and forgetting to write things down. But I did write things down this time. So maybe that won't be too much of a problem this time. (laughs) But I think one of my other ones is uh, making complex topics digestible, trying to take like big computer science topics and distill them down into things which are, are understandable without necessarily having a lot of the the background knowledge that resources expect. I gained that mostly through like my background in computer science and then my interest in like public speaking and communication and performance poetry, trying to like blend those together to make things easier to understand, lower the barrier for entry. I love it. Making complex topics digestible. That's definitely a skill we need more of in the world. <laughs> Absolutely. So Casey told me you are a bit of a teacher and you do a lot of teaching on, is it YouTube? So yeah, making things easier to digest. Uh, I, like I said during the pre-show, I have been trying to learn to code on and off for 12 years, as long as I've had this career And I've started and stopped and gotten frustrated and stopped and I've tried different things and I've had mentors and I feel like I've let my mentors down and I've tried this and that. I've tried a code academy and I don't know. So how do you do it? Can you tell us a little bit about how you do that? Sure. So most of the topics that I 
an interest in teaching is because I come from a, a background of, of compilers and debuggers and very like low level systems. Those are the things that I want people to get excited about because I, I think people look at, at compilers or C plus plus or or low level programming and think, oh, this is not very interesting or new or uh, it's like too complex or requires too much of uh, like a degree or or whatever. But none of that is true. Like you can do, uh, you can write a compiler without having to have a lot of the the background knowledge you might expect. And you can learn C++ without having to, yeah, it, it can be a lot easier than people make out. So I, I want to make these these concepts seem interesting and, and understandable because like they're deeply interesting to me and they've been working on them for a large part of my life. And I, I still love it and find them fascinating. So I, I want to share that with people. What's your motivation when you're working on these? Is it to understand things that are complex or are you solving problems you have or other people have, or maybe a blend or other, other motivations? I'm wondering what, what gets you so pumped about it? Yeah. So I think it's a, a few different things. Like I, I make videos on Twitter or, or YouTube and things like that of explaining concepts that I'm already familiar with. And it's pretty much stuff that like I could write an entire video off the top of my head without having to do any research. So like I've, I've done videos on explaining what a compiler is and all the stages of compilation or a video on like how cache performance works or like, cache coherency, garbage collection. These are all things that I could like just sit down and write something on and don't have to do a lot of research. Then there's the more exploratory stuff. So like I've, I've been stream live streaming the development of a, a ranges library for C++, which is like being able to compose operations, like building up a pipeline of operations for your data in a kind of a declarative manner so that you don't have to like deal with a lot of memory allocations and moving data around yourself. You just say, here's all the steps that I want to occur. And then someone who has written all of these, uh, these pipeline operations deals with how that actually happens. So I've been developing that library um, live and trying to like teach myself how to do all of these things while also teaching other people at the same time. So is it right to assume that maybe I've been going about learning to code in all the wrong ways and that I've just picked a language and tried to dive in? Or did I miss some of the conceptual stuff? And if so, as I suspect, I've probably a lot of the conceptual stuff has gone over my head. So where do you suggest if you were giving me advice, which yes, you are giving me advice, <laughs> where would you suggest as a brand new beginner coder, where, what kind of software concepts I need to research and understand before actually diving into an actual programming language? Honestly, I don't think that there's a single answer there. And I don't think there's a lot of wrong answers there. From my perspective, the best way to learn how to code is doing something that motivates you and that gets you excited because coding is hard. And like when you hit those bumps and things are going wrong, if you don't have that motivation to keep going, then it's very easy to, to stop. I know I've done it in like trying to learn certain concepts and things like that before, because I felt like, oh, I should learn this thing, but wasn't really interested in it. And then I found out it was hard and kind of stopped. 
the best way that I learn is finding something where I'm like, hey, like I want to build this thing or I want to understand this because I want to solve this problem or because I want to build on that knowledge with something else. It's always the motivation. But then I'm coming from like, if you're, you're someone with, with ADHD or something like, like me, then it's pretty much impossible to do anything without having like a strong motivation behind it. So that kind of comes into to my way of learning as well. That's super interesting. Actually, the last episode we did was with Rudo Kemper, and he did a project with Ruby for Good. And I went to that, and I actually got really excited and intrigued and wanted to get involved and learn how to code because... I was really interested and passionate about the project that he presented, which Mm -hmm. was uh, Terror Stories, which was handing down indigenous knowledge technologically um, so that stories aren't lost in just having oral traditions, that these stories are Mm -hmm. actually being recorded and are living somewhere on the internet. So that's really interesting. I went to that and then, of course, pandemic happened. It didn't happen, I again last year but i'm thinking about going back this year so i'm hoping maybe i can be on a team with somebody that could just shadow and kind of sit there and maybe casey would let me be that person because rumor (laughs) has it casey is going to be there at ruby for good on the east coast in the fall yeah i'll be there (laughs) i'd be happy to have you shadow me although my role lately has been on a higher level like last time i was a product manager for the team not coding and this year, I'm going to be helping the teams be happy and effective across the board because there's always a team or two that needs some like alignment work so that they can be productive the whole weekend. That's interesting. Okay. Well, I'm sure I'll find somebody who wouldn't mind me doing a kind of shadow thing. For sure. Yeah. Cool. That's the kind of environment it is. Absolutely. Yeah. That definitely sounds like the right kind of thing like something where you hear about something or you you look at this project and you think hey i want to get involved i want to contribute to this like that's what can drive a positive learning experience i think it's it's that that motivation and that motivation could just be hey i want to get into the the tech industry because it pays well and we need money to live because capitalism that's like totally legit as well (laughs) whatever you find motivates you can work Yeah. I mean, that's why I'm here. I had to find a way for my daughter and I to live. So I got into tech podcasts and then I'm working for all these people who, you know, I I always considered so much smarter than me. I was like, I could never learn that. I'm not good Mm -hmm. enough. But now since joining the podcast as a host and coming on here, I'm feeling more and more like, you know, I am smart enough. I could do the thing. And so I'm I'm actually really getting into it more, but it's just that being on the computer for so many hours doing the work stuff makes it hard to also break into the wanting to do the learning outside of my work hours because it's so much computering. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hard to split the good screen from bad screen. I've been computering so much. I have uh, tendinitis in my right pinky now from using the arrow keys on the keyboard too much, I think, and bad posture, which I've been working on for years. Computers can hurt our bodies. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I use the Logitech M570 virus, which I switched to a number of years ago and was one of the best changes I ever made for, for using a computer and also switching to Dvorak for keyboard layout. 
I use that too. Nice. Torek. It's not better, but I learned it. It might be more be- better for my health, maybe, but I'm not faster. That's what people always ask. I'm definitely- Instead of ASDF, it's A-O-E-U under your fingers. The common letters right at your fingertips. Oh, I- you don't need the semicolon on the under your right pinky. <laughs> Why is that there? Yeah, yeah I was going to ask for us, non, I, what, what you were even talking about there. So it's just basically reconfiguring your keyboard to not be the QWERTY kind of Yeah, thing. exactly. Yeah. Okay. That means you have to like completely relearn how to type, <laughs> which can take a while. Like when I, I, I switched completely, like stopped using QWERTY at all and just switched to Dvorak layout. I didn't even buy a Dvorak keyboard. I just like printed out the, the keyboard layout and stuck it to my monitor and just learned. And for the first while is excruciating because you're trying to type a, an email and you're like typing 15 words per per minute or something that's bad i did definitely did get faster shifting to Borak. i think i used to type at like 70 18 i type around 100 words per minute so it did change my speed a bit but to be fair i don't think i typed properly on qwerty i switched like 10 years ago though so i, I can't even remember a whole lot that's interesting though i mean that gives me something i want to play around with right there and it's not even really coding it's just <laughs> Ruby trying to teach myself to type in a different way. That's that's really interesting. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it was fun for when I learned it too. I, I think I learned in middle school and I was play- I practiced on AIM, AOL Instant mm-hmm. Messenger, and yeah. RuneScape. Nice. <laughs> I didn't dare practice while I had essays due and I had to write those up. That was too stressful. <laughs> yeah, like, I, During I, the summer was better for me. I switched during a uh, uh, summer break at university. Low stakes. I needed low stakes for that to succeed. <laughs> yeah. We were talking about what motivates you to learn programming. Uh, and I wrote up a story about that for me, actually, recently. Okay. The, at the highest level, my first programming class, we modeled buoys and boats. And it was so boring. I don't know why we were doing it. It didn't have a purpose. There was no end goal, no user. Nobody was ever going to use the code. Mm-hmm. It was fine for learning concepts, I guess, but it wasn't motivated. And I hated it. And I stopped doing CS for years. Until... I had the opportunity to work on an app that I actually used every day. I was like, yeah, I want to edit that. I just want to add this little checkbox there. Finally, I'll learn programming for that. <laughs> and I like, relearn programming to do useful things for people. Motivation's key. Yeah, I think from... Because I, I learned programming, well, started doing programming when I was quite young. And it was definitely the, the classic like video games. Want to learn how to make video games. And then you know, by the time I actually got over, university then i was like yeah don't want to don't want to go into the games industry so didn't end up doing that but i, I still enjoy you know game jams and things like that every now and again that's another thing you might like mandy it's like a, a weekend game jam mm. i don't know how how into gaming you are but it's also like fun lower stakes people are just partying i like ruby for good they happen more often and i like that how it feels at a game jam a little better than a hackathon because you're building something like fun and creative instead of Using a company's API because they told you to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was honestly never exposed to video games as a child. They were a no-no in my household. <laughs> and that's one of the things that I always cursed my parents for is the fact that I am the worst gamer. <laughs> my daughter makes fun of me. I'll sit down and like try to she's 12 and I'll try to do something. She'll be like, wow, this is like hurting me to watch you, mom. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I'm like, she, I, the other. Ouch. <laughs> then, no, she, what did she call? She called me a try hard. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm trying really hard to just go forward. Like, I'm really, I'm trying really hard to just jump over this object. <laughs> I was like, if that makes me a try hard, well, then yes, I'm trying very hard. Thank you. Yeah, my six year old has now got to the point where he can beat me in Super Smash Brothers. So I, I'm, I'm not feeling too good about that. <laughs> Yeah, my six-year-old nephew beat us all in Mario Kart a couple weeks ago. Yeah, <laughs> I can still be in the Mario Kart. That I can do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of the games she does looks fun, though. So, I mean, it's something I would be interested in. It's just something that I haven't been exposed to. And so I'm really excited now that... Hope, I don't want to say the pandemic's nearing an end because it seems to be not happening but um I'm, True. I'm excited things are opening up right now <laughs> until they start closing down again because yeah. like, i'm just like i am so excited for things like ruby for good and you know driving down to dc and seeing some of my friends and i would be interested in going to one of those game things as long as people are just like oh yeah we can be patient with her because yeah she's never done a game before <laughs> My last game jam had eight people on the team and zero had ever done game development before. We figured something out. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. fun. Like muddle along. Yeah. Somebody did like level design. They did a tile map. Someone did sprites. They were like, I'm going to do a sprite tutorial now. <laughs> sprite is when it's like moving, uh, moving like a walking character. We had to learn all the terms for it. We didn't know the terms either. But that was it was a good environment to learn. It seems like it. It seems like if you have a happy, healthy environment. For me, it was just, I was becoming stressed out. Like I had a standing meeting once a week with a really, really awesome person. And I just, it felt like it was more of like, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to work this into my already busy work week. And if I don't, then I'm, I'm completely like wasting their time and, I started to feel guilty to the point it, like it brought me down. I was just like, I just, I, I don't think this is good for either one of us right now because I just am feeling too much pressure, especially like with the once a week thing. And it's like to get through this chapter and then get through this chapter. And then I'd have a question and I'm not good at writing things down. And then I'd forget. And yeah, it, it seems like that might be more, of a, of a good learning, like a, a strategy to learn for me. I think a lot of people, like there's different strategies, like you have your, your visual learners or you have your audio learners. And yeah, I think for me, it would be cool. Just like I said, shadowing somebody. Like if I just like sat there and it wasn't weird for me just to like watch over somebody's shoulder while they're doing like this thing, that would be a more conducive environment to the way I learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like the pattern. You do, we do, I do. Have you heard of that one? No. Or I do, you do. I do, we do, you do, depending on the perspective. So uh, it's like shadowing first and then doing it together where you're both involved and then you can do it on your own. It's like a three-step process to make it a little bit easier to learn things from other people. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That sounds like, I mean, that sounds like how kids learn. Like, it's, you know, kind of like how, how we teach our, our children. Like, I do, now we're going to do it together, now you do it. Yeah, that's, I definitely have used that with my kid. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And it's just completely reasonable to do that as adults. That's how human brains work. Yeah. No, I, I don't feel... So that's a, that's the thing I would have to, you know, not almost get over, but just be like, oh my gosh, I'm like two years old. Like, I'm like learning like I'm a toddler and that's so embarrassing. But I think that that is a great way to learn and a great way to approach learning in general. I just started a book on... Uh, learning more about crystals and it's the beginner's guide. And she said, you know, you read this book and then you can move on to reading this other 700 page book that I've authored, but you should probably read this concise guide first. It's, you know, I think a lot of people feel the pressure to dive into the super smart, like, or the, what they perceive as being the super smart way of like diving in, like picking up the, the Ruby book or the, you know, the books that everyone talks about when there's so many other great resources that exist that break it into smaller, bite-sized, digestible chunks. And I, I think there's no shame in learning like that. And I think a lot of people think that they just need to dive right in and be like, oh, this is the hard book. I'm going to go for the hard book first. Like, no, start with the easy, start, start small. Yeah, I think, as you say, it definitely depends on how you learn and what kind of, of resources you, you find interesting and engaging. I've heard um, a similar story from a lot of friends, Mandy, where they really want to learn something, maybe programming in general or a language, and then they, they psych themselves out. Or they don't have the bandwidth in the first place, but they don't realize it. And they struggle through that and the guilt because they want to, but they don't have time or energy, which you also need. It's really common. A lot of people that I know are really motivated to do a lot of stuff. They want to do everything. I know some people who are fine not doing everything. And that's great because they're probably more grounded. <laughs> but <laughs> a lot of people I know really want to learn it all. And it's uh, attention. You don't have infinite time and energy. Yeah. I definitely fall into wanting to learn absolutely everything. And right now. <laughs> so what kind of things are you... Are you teaching right now, Sai? What kind? What kind of content are you putting out there? Yeah. So, like I said, a lot of it's to do with like low-level programming, like how memory actually works in a computer and how it affects how we program things. Because, like, for a lot of people, if you come from a, a higher-level programming background, you're used to memory kind of being abstracted away from what you do. You know, you deal with variables, you deal with objects, and the implementation of the programming language deals with how that actually maps onto the, the underlying hardware. But if you are you really need to get the most performance you possibly can out of your system and you're using a lower lower level language like C or C or, or Rust or, or Swift or something, then you need to understand like how your processor is actually handling the instructions and that is actually handling your memory accesses in order for them to, in order for your performance to actually be good. And some of it is not obvious as well and does not match with how you might think memory works because you know, the, the processors which we're using today are based in so much history and legacy. A lot of the time they're, essentially trying to mimic behavior of older 
processors in order to give us a, a programming model which we can understand and, and work with. But then that means that they have to, to work in certain ways in order to actually get performance for like the high-performance modern systems we need. So yeah, having an understanding of how caches work and how instruction pipelines work and things like that can actually make a, a really big difference down right at the low-level programming. Okay, so I'm looking at your Twitter and I'm looking at your pinned tweet. It says, I made a YouTube channel for my computer science explained with my cats videos. How do you explain computer science with your cats? Because that's something I could probably get into. Yeah, so I have three cats and... I've got you beat I, by one. <laughs> nice. <laughs> what, what are your cats called? I have four. And uh-huh. four. I have Nyx after Stevie Nyx. I have Sphinx mm-hmm. because he looks so regal. <laughs> and I have Chessie. And I have Jolie. Cool. Minor Milkshake, Marshmallow, and Lexical Analysis Cat. <laughs> cool. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so the things explained with my cats is mostly I, I wanted to explain things with with my cats and like random things which I find around my house. So like I remember I, I have a, a Discord server which I help to moderate called Hash Include C++, which is like a welcoming, inclusive organization for the C++ community. And we we're talking about hash maps and how hash maps are actually implemented. And I realized that you know, hash maps can be, you know, there's a lot of different design areas in hash maps, which can be difficult to understand. So I wanted to try and explain it using boxes and teddies and my cats. So I like, I set up a bunch of, of boxes and like, okay, right. So these are all of the, the buckets, which your, your items couldn't go into. And then there's some way to map a given teddy to a given box let's say it could be how cute it is. So if it's like super cute, then it goes in the leftmost box. And if it's like kind of cute, then it goes in the box after that and, and so on and so forth. And that's kind of how hash maps work. They, they have a b- bunch of memory, which is allocated somewhere, a bunch of boxes, and they have some way of mapping given items to a given box, which is called a hash function. In this case, it was how cute they are. And then you have some way of what happens if two teddies happen to be as cute as each other. How do you deal with that? And there's a bunch of different ways that you could handle that. And that's called hash collision. Like, what do you do with collisions? Do you stick them in the same box and have a way of, of dealing with that? Or do you like just put them in the next box up or a few boxes up or something like that? And there's like, whole decades worth of, of research and design which go into these things. But the concept kind of map quite nicely onto boxes and teddies and how cute they are. <laughs> I love that. Or also like explaining how, how caching works with chocolate. Like the, the intuition with, with memory access is you, you ask for some, some chunk of memory and you get that chunks. Like you ask for a single chunk of chocolate and you, you get that chunk of chocolate. But in reality, that's not what happens in most cases. In most cases, your processor is going to, you're actually going to get back like a whole row of chocolate because it's most likely that if you're going to get a bit of chocolate, you're probably going to be accessing the bits which are right next to it. Like, you know, if you have an array and you're processing all of the elements in that array, then you're just going to be stepping along 
all of those elements. So it's much faster to bring all of those elements of the array into memory at once. So that's what happens in, in modern processors without you having to ask for it. They just bring in that whole roll of chocolate. So I tried to like That's so polite. That. <laughs> when your friend asks for a single chip or a single piece of chocolate, <laughs> you know they want more. <laughs> yeah. How generous of you to give them the whole bag. <laughs> Whether they want it or not, though. Yeah. So are these videos relatively short or are they more long? Yeah, they're all like videos? two minutes long. Oh, cool. I try and keep them within the, the video limit for Twitter videos, which is like two minutes, 20 seconds. Okay, cool. See, that's something I could probably commit to is like <laughs> watching one of those videos, you know, not even maybe once a day because that's sometimes that's a little bit much pressure like every day. So maybe like a like I try to work out three to four times a week. So like, you know, saying I'm going to, you know, do this three to four times a week and I'm going to not stress on I'm going to do this every Monday. I just generally three to four times a week. I think that's something I could could commit to. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to get them within two minutes, 20 seconds can be really tough sometimes. Like, do you quite do often, a lot of I, editing? Yeah. I tend to, I'll sit down and I'll write the whole episode or video or whatever and just get in like all the content that I want, just put it onto a, a text document. And then I'll start filming it in whatever order I want. And then I start editing. And then quite often I realize that I've got like two minutes, 40 seconds worth of content or something. And like, I can't quite cut it down. I have to reshoot something and then re-edit it. And but yeah, I try to get it all done within a single day because if I don't, if I don't get it done in a single day, then it ends up taking even longer because I get distracted and, and things like that. I need to like focus just getting this one thing done. <laughs> so you're doing these, it within hours like yeah, how, how, uh, from start to finish uh, how many hours would you say you invest in these videos start to finish about five six hours something like that like i said i don't really have to do a lot of research for them because they're things that i know very well so i can pretty much sit down and just write something and then most of the time is spent in, in editing and then captioning as well very cool I've been doing a bit of video editing lately, and it takes so long. Yeah, it really does. I'm not surprised it takes five or six hours. <laughs> no, I'm not either. I mean, I, I do all the podcast editing. For those of you listening <laughs> who do not know, I edit all these podcasts, and it takes, yeah, roughly even five to six hours for audio because I also put other work into that, like doing the show notes and getting the transcripts. Now, I have those outsourced because I just I don't have enough hours in the day. But there's a lot of different parts to editing and podcasting and screencasting and stuff that I don't think a lot of people know that, you know, these two minute videos that you do really do take five to six hours and, and you're putting these out there for free. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. As in you have, I assume you have a full-time job on top of that. Yeah. I mean, I can, because my position is a developer advocate, I can, kind of count that as, as doing work. So I don't have to do that okay. in, my, in my own time. Very cool. Yeah, that's cool. I, I love DevRel. So yeah, working in DevRel, I, I do that too. I'm, 
I'm a Renaissance woman, basically. Podcast <laughs> editing, DevRel, conference organizing. It's a lot. So yeah. I, I give you I give you mad props for putting stuff out there and you know, just giving a shout out to people who might not be aware that yeah, content creation is not easy and it does take time. So thank you. Thank you for that. Because this seems like the kind of stuff I would be able to ingest and and that's cool i'm especially impressed sai that you have uh these interests that are complex to explain and you can explain them well and you find the overlap with what people want to know about (laughs) i think maybe in part from the discord you hear people asking questions can you tell us a little bit about what that's like how do you decide what's interesting yeah i think you know i I ask people on twitter what they would find interesting but I also like, cause I mean, right now I'm not really going to, to conferences, but previously I would go to a lot of conferences and you know, people would come up to me. And if I give a, a talk on compilers, for example, like come and say like, oh, hey, I never knew how like, register allocation worked. That was super interesting to know. So I don't think I've done a video on register allocation yet, actually. I should do one of those. Write that down. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's the kind of thing, like, just because I spend a lot of time in communities and conferences and discords and on Twitter, you know, you get a feel for the, the kind of topics which people find interesting and maybe want to know how they work under the covers and just haven't found a good topic. Like, even function calls, like, how, how does a function call work in C at the, the hardware level? Like, if you call a function, what's actually happening? Um, I did a video on on that because it's it feels like such a, a fundamental thing, like calling a function. But there's a lot of magic which goes into it, or it can seem like a lot of magic. It's actually like I want to say very well defined, sometimes less so. But <laughs> there, there are rules, so that there is rhyme and reason. Very cool. I want to talk about the other content creation that you do. So code art journal and trash heap zine. Do you want to talk about those a minute? <laughs> sure. So code art was an idea that I had. Um, it, it's a, a journal of code as art. So I'd hear a lot of people saying, oh, coding is a, an art form. I'd be like, okay, yes. Sometimes maybe. When is it an art form? When is it not? What's the difference between these? Like I, I spent a lot of time thinking about art because I'm, I'm a poet and I, I spend most of my free time researching and watching movies and so code as art is something which really interested me so I, I made this this journal which is a collection of, of things which people sent in of code which they think is art and sometimes it's something you might immediately see and look at and think okay right this is code and it's fulfilling some functional purpose some other time, and maybe that functional purpose gives it some artistic, some artistic qualities just by how it achieves something, or if it does something in a very performant manner or a very interesting manner. Other times, you might look at it and say, "Okay, look, this is code, but it's more aesthetic than functional." And sometimes it's things which you might look at and think, "Okay, is this even code?" Like there was like, someone sent in a, a program written in a language called Folders which is a esoteric programming language entirely programmed using empty folders on your hard drive, which I absolutely love. I'm super into esoteric programming languages. So I absolutely love that one. 
but yeah, so the that sounds so cool. <laughs> Where can people find it? Is it online also? Yes, there it is in print, and there's also you can get the issues online for free in PDF form. There is a third issue which is pretty much fully put together on my machine. I just haven't done the finishing touches, and it's been one of those things that's just sat not doing anything for months, and I need to get finished. <laughs> Yeah, and then Trash Heap Zine is is another another zine that I, I co-edit, which is just utter trash. Because as much as I love like more explicitly artistic films and, and writing and things like that, I also have a deep love of utter utter trash. So this is the trashiest stuff that we could possibly find. We just like even my the the submission guidelines that I wrote for that is essentially a trash poem but ran a submission guidelines. So if you have trash, please send our way. Yeah. I was going to say, what, what do you consider trash? What's trashiest or what's trashiest enough to be in these scenes? I can read out. Where's my, my submission guidelines. The URL for the, the zine is trashheap.party, which I was very, very pleased with. And the, the website looks awful. I spent a lot of time making it as awful as I possibly could. Yeah, things like any kind of the sparkles. Yes, when the mouse moves, they're sparkles. Every website should have that. Definitely. Yeah, like text you sent your crush at four a.m. while drunk, where you misspelled their name and they never spoke to you again, or draft tweets which you thought better of sending, poorly photoshopped pictures of our website, (laughs) a medically inaccurate explanation of the digestive system of raccoon dogs. All good stuff. That's amazing. I know a lot of people who would be cracking up reading this together. <laughs> There's so much treasure in this trash heap. Yeah. yeah. Don't worry, folks. We'll put links in the show notes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite things of it was when we would get all of the submissions, we'd like get together and just project them up on a wall and read them together. And some are just so bad. It's hilarious in, in the most wonderful way. It sounds like a party itself. It is, yes. The trash heap party. Absolutely. It's kind of taking me back to early pre-YouTube internet when we watched Flash cartoons all the time. And a lot of those were terrible, but we loved them. Yes. I made some as well. They were so bad. (laughs) Remember, like, getting a a very non-legal version of Flash and, like, making the absolute worst stick Flash animations I possibly could. Oh, speaking of content creation, I've been learning some animation and 3D modeling animation lately. I had my first ever viral TikTok. It had over 9,000 views. Wow, nice. And so when I look at my phone, if I don't have the, if it's not um, the notifications muted, it's like annoying. (laughs) I have to turn it off. Yeah. Congratulations. um, (laughs) Thank you. So the video is a USB thumb drive that won't insert even though you flip it over it. That's been done before. But what I added was misheard lyrics by the band Maroon 5. (laughs) Choker! USB! (laughs) That's what I hear every time. (laughs) Mandy, have you done any art? Oh, have I done any art? Lately? Oh, yeah. Well, actually... You've been doing some home stuff, I know. 
Yeah, I've been I've been doing plant stuff, gardening, but this weekend I actually took my daughter to a workshop. It was called Working with Resin Epoxy, and oh, we got cool. to make coasters, and the teacher brought stickers and feathers and, uh, and crystals and it was like a three-hour workshop, and I think my my daughter had extra resin, and her birthday is on Thursday this week. And I noticed she was making kind of the same ones, and I said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm making gifts for my friends that come to my birthday party. And I just thought it was so sweet that I was like, you know, usually birthday parties, you receive gifts or whatever. And she's like, no, I would like to give them gifts for my birthday. And Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, that's adorable. So yeah. Um, I've been trying to do more things with my hands and get off the screens more, which is, has, (laughs) you know, been the major thing keeping me back from being on code. I've, I've made a strict weekend policy where I do not touch my computer from Friday evening to Monday morning unless it's an absolute dumpster fire. I need to do something (laughs) or like if a takeout menu looks better on my computer than it does on my phone, (laughs) then, then I'll pop it open, but I won't, but I won't read the email or do the slack, but yeah. And then this Saturday, I'm taking a course in astrology. It's an all-day workshop. So I'm excited to kind of dive into that stuff a little bit more. So cool. It's hard to believe we can do these in person again. I'm not over it. I know. I'm so afraid to get excited over it and then have it be taken away again. <laughs> hmm Yeah, Sai, tell us a little more about uh, Hash Includes C++. I've actually heard of it. It's like a little bit famous online. It's an inclusive community, I know from the name. Yes. Tell us more about it. So it actually started off on Twitter kind of as a half joke. Guy Davidson tweeted being like, hey, so why isn't there a a diversity and inclusion organization for C++ called Hash Include? Because Hash Include is is like a language concept in in C and C++. And people were like, ha, 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 yeah, you're right. And then Kate Gregory was like, you're right, we should make one. So we did. <laughs> and we started off with like six of us in a Slack channel and then ended up moving to Discord and starting our own server there. And now we are a few thousand members. And whenever they're back when we had in-person conferences, we would have a booth at at pretty much every major C++ conference. We had scholarships, which we would send people on. We got conferences to improve by having like live captioning and uh, like wheelchair accessible stages and uh, gender neutral bathrooms, instituting and an upholding code of conduct, things like that. So yeah, we, we started off thinking, hey, if we could like get some, some conferences to like, have a code of conduct or something that would be great. And then it ended up being way, way, way bigger than any of us thought it would become, which is is amazing to see. That's so cool. What a success story. Yeah. How long has it been going on now? Oh, I guess about three or four years. Yeah, probably closer to four years. I mean, my sense of time is is not good. The the best of times, but yeah, something around four years. 
I'm curious if another language community wanted to do something similar, if they're inspired. Is there like a write-up about what y'all have done? Um, I've given talks. We can point people to. We can put that in the show notes. Yeah. But, but I've given a couple of talks. talks. About it. Other people have given talks as well. I gave a slightly longer form talk at DevRelCon London 2019, I think, which was on kind of the lessons which we learned through trying to build a welcoming and inclusive community in you know, a community which has already been around for decades. Because like CS Plus was first standardized in 1998. So uh, it's been around for for quite a long time and has a lot of history. That sounds great. I can't wait to watch it. <laughs> yeah, but I know that there's other languages who have like uh, JavaScript, have like Queer.js, which is a really cool community. And I'm sure there, there are other languages which have similar things going as well. I never heard of queer JS. I'm queer in JS. Yeah, I'm glad I had this moment just now. It's cool. It's, they have a Discord, and they have—I uh, can't remember how active the Discord is, but yeah, like they would have meetups across the world. Like they had one in London and in Berlin, and a bunch of other places, and talks and community. Yeah, seems really cool. That's awesome. I kind of wanted to give a talk about C++ and JavaScript because. You can like target JavaScript with C++ these days, which is kind of cool. I used Mscripten before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't use it directly. Other people did. It turned GraphViz into a JavaScript, mm-hmm. a program that runs in JavaScript instead of normally it's just CSS. Yeah. So you, I could draw like circles pointing to other circles in the browser, which is what I always wanted to do. <laughs> GraphViz.it.it is my favorite GraphViz editor. It's online. Cool. Yeah, I, I like graphics a lot. Yeah, Mscripten is really cool, though. Basically, yeah, a way of compiling C++ to JavaScript and then having the the interoperation with, with the browser and the, the ecosystem that you might want to, like, be able to call uh, JS functions from, from C++ or, or the other way around and do things which seem operating systems-y but have to be mapped inside the browser environment. Yeah, it's powerful. I'm also glad I've never had to use it directly. Other people made libraries doing it what I needed. Thank goodness. <laughs> Abstraction. Yeah. yeah, I find it like, I've not used it a whole lot, but I did find it fairly nice to work with when I did. So like I, I made a, a silly esoteric programming language called InJam, which is a, a language where the programs are poems and it runs on like a stack-based abstract machine. And the interpreter for it is written in C++. And I wrote a command line driver for it and also a version which one runs in the browser and that compiles using Mscripten. And it was really cool. And I hooked it all up with CMake, which is like the, the main C++ build system so that you could just say, hey, I want to build the command line version for like my platform. like. Windows or, or Mac or Linux or whatever, or, hey, I want to build it for, for the web, and it would build you the JavaScript version and an HTML page and, and things like that. It's pretty cool. And I recently made another esoteric programming language, which you program using MS Paint. You see, you, you literally make shapes with MS Paint, and you give the, the compiler an image file, and then 
it uses OCR and computer vision in order to parse your code and then generate C from that. <laughs> it's it's pretty ridiculous, but I had so much fun with it. OCR is optical character recognition. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I'm picturing like I drew, I wrote a program on a napkin. And a computer could maybe OCR that into software. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it uses OCR for things like function names because it has, it supports function calls and then uses shapes for most things. So it's, has things like a a plus sign, which means increment what is currently being pointed to or right or left or up or down arrows for moving things around. And so you'd actually make an image file with those symbols. And then I used, um, OpenCV for working out what the shapes were. It was the first time I've ever done any kind of image recognition stuff. It was a lot easier than I expected it to be. I thought you'd have to write a lot of code in order to you know, get things up and running and to, to do image detection. But most of the simple things like recognizing, hey, this is a triangle or this is a plus sign or this is a, a square and things like that were pretty, you didn't need a lot of code in order to do them. It was mostly when you had to say, like, okay, this is a triangle, but which direction is it pointing in? Got a little bit more complicated, had to do some maths and things like that. And I'm terrible at maths, so that that was a little bit more difficult. But, yeah, it was a lot of fun to get started with and had a much um, lower barrier for entry than I expected. Now I want to play with OCR and image recognition. I haven't done that for 10 years. It was not easy when I tried it last time with whatever tool that was. (laughs) Yeah, I did it. We're in the future. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah, I did it all with with Python. And Python has fairly nice OpenCV bindings. So um, it was, and there's a ton of resources out there for, for doing like most of the basic stuff that you would expect. So yeah, there's a lot of learning resources and, and decent library solutions out there now. Cool. All right, we're getting near the end of time. At the end, we like to go through reflections, which is like, what's something interesting that stood out to you, something you'll take with you going forward from our conversations today? I really am excited to dig into size videos. They seem, like I said earlier in the show, you know, something like something I could commit to a few times a week to watching these videos. I mean, especially when they are concepts that seem so, so, so much fun, like cats and Mm -hmm. teddy bears and cuteness levels and things like that. Mm -hmm. I think that's a, that would be a great start for me just to in the morning while I'm still drinking tea, just before I even dive into my email, check out one of those videos. So I think I'll do that. Thanks. I liked hearing about your process I, with your constraints, like two minute, 20 seconds on Twitter. That's just a, a helpful constraint to make sure it's really polished and dense. Yeah. It takes you five to six hours and you make things that people ask about that they're interested in. That whole process is fascinating to me as I try to make more viral TikToks <laughs> or, or whatever, whatever I'm making at the time. Yeah. Uh, I always wondered how you made such good stuff that got retweeted so often. Cool things of insight. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly just time. <laughs> yeah, I guess it, this made me remember that I definitely want to make a video on register allocation because I love register allocation. It's such a, a cool thing. For the, those who don't know, it's like if you, you have a, 
a compiler which takes your code and maps it onto the hardware. Your hardware only has a certain number of resources. So how do you work out how to use those resources in the, the best manner? And it maps onto some quite nice computer science algorithms like graph coloring, which means it's maps quite nicely visually. I could probably make a, a pretty cool graph coloring visualization with some random things that I have strewn around my room. <laughs> I can't imagine this yet, but I will understand it clearly soon, I bet. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, I just want to wrap up by saying thank you so much for joining us today, Sai. It's been a really awesome conversation. And to folks who have been listening, thank a content creator. It takes time. It takes energy. It's a lot of work that I don't think a lot of people, unless you've done it, really understand how long and in-depth of a process it is. So thank one of us content creators, especially when we're putting this content out for you for free. And to do that for us, Greater Than Code, we do have a Patreon page and we will invite Sai to join us. And we would like you to join us as well. If you are able to donate on a monthly basis, it's awesome. It's patreon.com slash greater than code all episodes have show notes and transcripts and we do a lot of audio editing you know so join us if you're able if you are still a person who is greater than code and cannot afford a monthly commitment you are still welcome to join us in our Slack community. Simply send a DM to one of the panelists and we will let you in for free. So with that, thank you so much, Casey. Thank you again, Sai. And we'll see you all next week. <laughs> <laughs>